Welcome to the Anchor Lincoln Weekly Podcast. This week, Pastor Matthew shares the final message in our sermon series, Becoming Wise, with a talk titled, Choosing Trust. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. Ah, sorry. If you could just... You just uh, forget what they just did. Uh, it's so good to be with you guys. It's been three weeks. Three weeks since I've been able to, to be with you guys and, and teach. And so I'm just excited to wrap up our series on Becoming Wise. We've been in Proverbs for the past five weeks, and we're landing the plane today in this series. But before I jump in, I just want to make note of one thing. I want you guys to come next Sunday, bring a friend, because it's Pentecost Sunday. It's going to be Pentecost Sunday. And so we're going to be talking about the spirit. And and we're all going to ask the question, how does one levitate? And hopefully we'll find an answer. I'm just joking for those of you who are new. Um, We've already been through that. We've tried. It didn't work. And so we're on to the next one. But no, it's going to be a great morning of of asking the question, what is Pentecost and what does it mean for us? And what does a life in the spirit look like? And so invite your mom, invite your dad, invite your, your neighbor and come on through. All right. Well, let's get into the word of God, starting in Proverbs chapter three, verse one. If you've got your Bibles, you can whip them out turn them on, or look at the screen. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Father, we thank you We thank you that you are here. We thank you that you have blessed us with your word. You have blessed us with guidance. You've blessed us with your voice. Lord, this morning, we thank you that you have blessed us with your presence. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you are here. You are at work in this house, in this place. And we say thank you. We say thank you, Lord. And Jesus, we bless you. We thank you that you are our savior. Jesus, that you have made a way for us to break free of the shackles of sin and to walk in life and life abundantly. Lord, we thank you that you are sanctifying us, that you are making us into your image. God, that you are cleaning us of all the shame and insecurity, enabling us to walk in the fullness of your life. Lord, we thank you that you are our healer, that you heal us now, but you're also going to heal us then when you come as our coming king. We thank you, Jesus, that you will return and restore. Lord, so this morning we bless you, we glorify you and you alone, and we pray this all in your mighty name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, it is that time of the year. You know the time. Sweat time. It's sweaty because the sun's out. (laughs) Sweat time. It is. It is. And you go to Home Depot and Lowe's, and what do you see? 
Droves of people all over the place, primarily around the garden section. Everyone thinks they're a gardener now. Everyone's getting their plants. Yeah, we want them organic. Get away from us, Monsanto. We ain't got time for that. Give us that organic kale because I'm not going to eat it. I'm going to let it go to flower, right? (laughs) It's that time. Everyone's got their gardening gloves on with the nice print on it and the wicker hat. Yeah, Kate and I have matching wicker hats. Got it from Whole Foods. Say something. Really, say something. (laughs) Security. (laughs) It's gardening season. Now, some of you are probably really into gardening and others of you are more like me and you're like, just don't touch it. Support the one around you that does and can has that gift. Um, But I do know something about gardening. I know something very important about gardening, and you probably do too, at least I'd hope so, because you should have learned this in elementary school. Uh, What is the foundational truth of gardening? You need good soil. You got to have good soil. If you try to plant a plant in clay-ridden, dry soil, It's not going to grow into something beautiful and productive. It's going to wither away looking somewhat like that broccoli you've had in your fridge for the past two weeks in the bottom right-hand side of the fridge that you find when you're cleaning it out. You know what it looks like. Now, some of you are like, well, whoa, whoa, now, Pastor Matthew, I don't even eat broccoli, so how does that pertain to me? Well, it makes the point all the more. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. When you plant seeds in poor soil, I've got a question for you this morning. Where are you planting the most important seed of your life? Where are you planting the seed of your life? What is the soil that you've nestled yourself, sowed yourself into? Now, this is kind of a silly question, but I'm serious. What is the soil that you have placed around yourself to nourish and protect you? Have you chosen the the soil of ambition? My life will grow into me being at the top, top dog. I'm going to get all the promotions. I'm going to get all the money. Is it the soil of ambition? Is it the soil of hedonism? My life is all about what I can get and how I can get pleasure. And so the life you are living is growing up from that place. Or is it the soil of anger? You've had a hard life. You're jaded. You're cynical. You've got these big ideas. And your life is about asserting yourself, dominating, and being on top. What is the soil that you've planted yourself in? Think for a moment. Be honest with yourself. You know, it seems to me, and it is very clearly stated in Scripture, that these things don't amount to the life they purport to. The soil, all of this, it's centered around one thing, the self. The self. As top. The self, as central. The the self. What I get. How I want to get it. When I want to get it. Scripture says that soil does not lead to a flourishing, beautiful, productive plant. It leads to something else. So in today's, question, in today's passage, we're asking ourselves the question. And the proverbialist gives us the answer where we should plant ourselves so that our life might flourish. 
Don't you just want a life of flourishing? Don't you just want that life? Well, the proverbialist gives us that today. But before we get to the soil, let's take a look at the tree. What is the fruit that this tree bears? The first form of fruit that the tree bears is shalom. Shalom. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. It's important for me to uh, say on the outset of the sermon, said it a few times already, Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are not promises, uh, but they produce an environment for us to walk in, in, in flourishing, to experience what he's talking about here in shalom. And, and, and so he says, uh, it will prolong your life many years if you listen to my teachings on wisdom. If you walk wisely, you will experience peace and prosperity. It's this rich Hebrew word, shalom. That, that means more than just peace, like and no conflict, okay, we're good. But it means wholeness. One commentator says that the, the, a good word for it is wholesomeness, that wholesome feeling where you're whole. Everything is in order. Everything is where it ought to be, and you know it, and everyone around you knows it. The author of this proverb is saying, when you walk in wisdom, it will lead you to peace, it will lead you to prosperity, and it will lead you to wholesomeness. Shalom is the first fruit of, of the wise life. The second fruit is favor. Favor. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. The proverbialist is saying, hey, love and faithfulness will lead you to favor. And I love this imagery of binding it, love and faithfulness around your neck and engraving it upon your heart. It's this external reality. This doesn't, isn't just an individualistic me and Jesus in the prayer closet all day, every day, or I'll do my church in the woods because REI and stuff type of faith. This is an internal and external reality engraven upon our hearts, but also bound around our neck for all to see. It's the love God with all you've got and love your neighbor type stuff. And that's the kind of stuff that leads to favor. Most importantly, with God. Favor with God, but also with others. Because who doesn't like someone who's marked by joy? and kindness, and peace, and gentleness, and forbearance, and so on and so forth. Who doesn't like to be around a person who's not cynical and pessimistic about everything, always complaining, always nagging? Silly liberals, golly. All oh, those Republicans again, gosh darn it. No one likes to be around people who are so negative. The fruit is favor. People love to be around you, even if they don't agree with what you have to say and what you've built your life on. If you're full of joy, you're full of grace, you're full of mercy. And so it leads to favor. It leads also, another fruit is straight paths. Trust in the Lord 
with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Trust, the wise life trusts. And because of the trust that they have in the Lord, the wise have straight paths. Straight paths. What what does this mean? It means that there is a direction, a clear direction. There is purpose. Those who are bearing fruit from the wise life have purpose. They have a direction. For those who follow Jesus, it's go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you to the very end of this age. It's purpose-driven. No no matter what skills you do or do not possess, that's the beauty, is you've got purpose. God has a plan for you, and he's working that through. You may never make it to that next tax bracket, and you've got all the purpose you'll ever need. All the purpose. You see, the Lord straightens our path. He doesn't remove the hurdles, mind you. He doesn't... Remove the tripping hazards. He doesn't remove the dark seasons, but the path is straight. And he promises to be with us in the valley of the shadow of darkness. He will not depart, for he is always with us. And his aim is to bless us, to sit us around a table with our enemies, showing them how blessed we are as God fills up our cup and anoints us with oil in his presence. And so... One of the fruits is straight paths. And finally, the final fruit that we see here in this text is health. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. It's this posture of humility the wise have. And from that place, the fruit that is born is health. Health, our body, our bones are nourished. Now, remember, it's not a promise. So some very, some, some of us are faithfully following Jesus. We're giving him all we've got. And we still got that limp. We've still got that diagnosis. So the promise is not health. But what the proverbialist is saying here is if you orient yourself to view your body as a temple to use Paul's language, just to see yourself as an image bearer, to see your relation to creation, to see what the fruit you eat, the food you eat, and the drinks you drink, the way you treat your body matters, then you're presenting yourself with the conditions for a healthy life. A life where your body is nourished. It's not fiery hot Cheetos every day. It's fiery hot Cheetos once a month. You can still have them sometimes. You can. You really can, Jeannie. You're pulling that broccoli out before it goes bad in the bottom right-hand side of your corn, you know, your fridge. You're eating the good stuff, and your body is being nourished. This passage paints this picture of fruit for those who have grounded themselves on the Lord, who are walking wisely. But it doesn't just talk about fruit. It also speaks of soil. It also speaks of soil. It gives us the conditions to lead that lead to that type of life. Now, if you've been with us for the past five weeks, you may be thinking to yourself, I know what the soil is, mister. I do. 
You talk about it every Sunday, or at least someone else has. It's the fear of God, right? It's the fear of the Lord. And it's not a cowering fear. It's this filial fear. Yes, I've been paying attention. It's this respect. It's treating God as God. It's all that, right? And I would say in response to that, way to remember. Good job taking notes. You did it, champ. And really, that was a good guess. It's like guessing Jesus in Sunday school. Like you're going to get it the majority of the time. But it's not quite the answer to today's question. I know. Shocker. The plot thickens. Have I got your attention? Has I hooked you yet? Likely the fear of God, but not the fear of God. I would argue that the soil that the proverbialist is pointing us to, telling us to bury our, the seed of our life in, to plant ourselves in, is the soil of the trust of the Lord. It's the trust the Lord. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I believe you have to have trust that it precedes fear and reverence. Because we've got to trust that God is who he says he is. Or else what are we fearing? Right? And so it's trust. Trust is the key. Trust is that first domino that sets it all off. Trust is that nutrient-dense soil that protects us from the elements, that protects us from the birds, that protects us from outside and grows up and gives us the ability to grow up into a fruit-bearing tree, one that is nutrient-dense, beautiful, and productive. It's the trust of the Lord. Now, what does it look like to trust the Lord? What does it look like? What, is, what, is, what, is, what characterizes trust in the Lord? The first thing is rest. Rest is the first thing. I love what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. You probably know this verse. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The ox would wear these heavy yokes, these wooden yokes to enable them to plow the farm as the farmer sat back, or not really sat back, but you were guided as an ox by the farmer. And we all wear a yoke. You and I are all wearing a yoke, a heavy yoke, likely. The yoke of shame, the uh, yoke of insecurity, the yoke of having to be further along than you are because every time you check Instagram, you see the people you went to college with and they're making like $50,000 more annually than you are and they're able to go on a vacation. You can't even conceptualize a vacation and you're tripping because you see them living the way they're living and think you ought to be there too. Yeah, that yoke too. It's all these yokes that we have placed upon ourselves, these societal yokes. I should be there by now. I should be able to do this exercise. I should be able to uh, discipline myself to be productive like that. It's all these yokes that we place upon ourselves. And Jesus, in light of those, says, take mine. Here, take mine. Mine's easy and light. Mine is not a cruel master, a cruel farmer that pulverizes you into the ground and then puts it on someone else. 
Isn't that the yoke of the ideologies at work today? I'm going to use you, use you, use you, use you, use you until you disqualify yourself and then we'll kick you out. Use you, use you, use you, use you, use you for all you've got, for how many tweets you've got, for how many posts you've got, for how much money you've got, and then I'm kicking you out. Jesus's is different. It's easy. It's light. You know, I love this, this picture of the yoke. This picture of the yoke, by and large, a yoke had spots for two oxen. So it wasn't a single yoke. There was two involved. The yoke would bind two oxes together to do the plowing. And Jesus is saying, you see this around my shoulders? Here's yours. You see, that's the difference. That's the difference with Jesus. Jesus puts himself in the work with us. He's plowing with us. He's not standing from afar. You could do better. Is that all you've got, God? He's with us. He's plowing with us. He's empowering us. That's why it's easy. Learn from me, he says. I'll keep up with your pace. I'm with you. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, putting our faith in Christ is not about trying harder. It means transferring our trust away from ourselves and resting in him. To take on his yoke is to transfer the weight that we've placed on ourselves. It's to rest in him. What a beautiful reality. We could take the burden of figuring our lives out. Should have had it figured out by now. I'm, Lord, I'm 23 and a half. Gosh, and I'm still only making $30,000 a year. Oh, I should be making so much more money because my friends are. We could take the burden of that off. We could take the burden off. I should be healthier. I should look like them, the burden of what you see in the mirror because you're taking on what Jesus says about you. It's relieving the burden that we place on ourselves and walking in in a state of rest with the Lord, sidestepping anxiety. So we rest in the Lord. First and foremost, we transfer the weight of holding it all down and we put it on Jesus' shoulders. Because he's the one who can carry that weight. Second is reliance. So rest and reliance. To trust God is to depend on him. It's to realize that there is no life to live outside of the life he gives. There is no life to live outside of the life he gives. To lean not on our own understanding. Because let's be honest. Our understanding is a little short-sighted. Our understanding is fallible. Our understanding changes generation by generation. The understanding of the last generation is different from the understanding of this generation and so on and so forth. Forwards, backwards, it's different. Understanding changes. How many times have we said, no, I understand I'm wrong here and I'm going to change. And you don't. You still vape so much, so much. I understand that this is good for me, and it's not. I'm telling you, the fiery hot Cheetos are not good for your soul. I understand why I do this, and you have no idea. Our understanding is so short-sighted. 
We can't trust our understanding. We can't trust it. Look at society. How many times has society said, nope, I understand. This is the path forward. And then we run it back. (laughs) That was not it. That is not the one. How many times? We're so, this is solid ground I'm standing on with this one. Guaranteed this is good. And it's not. So we lean not on our own understanding, but on the Lord's. Because his understanding is perfect. His understanding is infallible. And we may not always understand his understanding, but we don't have to understand to trust. We rely, we depend. God, I trust you. I don't fully believe this one, but I'm gonna trust it. It's like when I tell you, listen, Chipsitch is the best sandwich in Tacoma right now. You gotta go to the farmer's market, see Malone, see Britain, they're gonna give you a sandwich. It has chips on it, Chipsitch. And you're gonna eat it and enjoy it. But you might still be on that $5 footlong grind. You're like, no, 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 Subway's the best. Subway's the best. But you trust me, so you go taste it. And then you see, right? (laughs) And then you see. So we rely on him. We depend on him. We default to him. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, if you say, I believed in God, I trusted God and he didn't come through. You only trusted God to meet your agenda. See, we're relying on God. So many of us are trying to manipulate God. God, I, I tithed. I tithed. Where's my girl at, Lord? Some of you think there's a correlation there. If I tithe, I'll get the dime. A nickel, Lord? A penny, Lord? Does not compute. Some of us think if, if we give of our time, then he'll give back to us money, more money. We think there's some sort of manipulation equation to get what we want out of the whole thing. And we project our agenda onto God and we said, all right, God, now do it. And when he doesn't do it, we dip. Well, we're not dependent on God. We're trying to force an agenda. We submit to God's agenda. We rely on him. Because he is God. Amen? He is God. And what a beautiful truth that we don't have to play God. We can just walk within the boundaries he's given us. Like a caring, gracious farmer. Providing a grazing land for his cattle. Her cattle. Let me put boundaries around this. Let me give you ample water. Let me give you all the food. I'll protect you. I've got some sheep dogs that will protect you. We're good. Give me the boundaries, Lord, to walk and thrive with it. I trust you. And finally, it's response. We have to respond. In the Hebraic understanding, the ancient Hebraic mindset, it, trust necessitates response. You cannot say you trust God and live as if he does not exist. You can't. You have to submit yourselves and trust and begin to respond to that trust. I love what what Jesus says in Matthew 7. He gives a parable and he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's not, therefore, everyone who hears these words and likes them is like a wise man. Therefore, everyone who is a fan of these words and tweets them once a year is like a wise man. No, 
everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice and puts them in responds and puts them into practice. Yes, Jesus frames it. God frames it. Listen, I know you're going to trip up because I know not everything is made right just yet. But there's grace and it is sufficient to cover a multitude of sins, not just five times. Some of us are like, God, I've repented like five times for this thing and now I'm just going to disqualify myself and leave. As if that sin scares God. As if God's power is not, uh, 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 does not overwhelm that singular sin. God gives us the power to overcome the addiction. That addiction that you've been covering up, that you've been hiding from your family. God gives you the power to overcome that first by stepping into the light and receiving the burning vitamin D that is healing your body that you have steered clear of because you've been soaking in darkness. God's power gives you the ability to respond in trust that he is going to maintain the things and he is going to free you from the things. He's going to free you from the addiction. He expects a response. He expects us to put into practice. It's making him Lord over all things. Love the Lord your God with what? Your whole mind, your whole body, your whole soul, your whole strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That counts too. All of that. We love him with everything. And I want to return to the question I asked you to begin with. Where are you sowing your life? Are you sowing it in this type of soil? Are you sowing, planting your life in the soil of trust in the Lord, this nutrient-dense, protective soil? Or are you placing it elsewhere? Listen, that's something we all have to ask, but I'm telling you right now, I truly have a vision for our community that we can all plant ourselves in the soil of trust and just imagine where that takes us as people engage with us, interact with us. Just imagine where that takes us. Just imagine the impact that has on our friends and on our neighbors. Just imagine where that takes us. As we're sitting around our anchor group or our rooted group and we're sharing our struggles, just imagine where it takes us when we're choosing to trust the Lord. See, that is on offer for us today. It is on offer for us today to live a life that bears fruit. You know, uh, over this weekend, uh, Tim Keller, a profound, incredibly influential pastor and author, uh, passed away over a long fight uh, with cancer. And he is one who actually, like, finished the race well. Like, no scandals, no abuses of power, just a good dude who loved the Lord. And my Instagram feed is just peppered with his picture, peppered with quotes, peppered with people from all different types of political backgrounds and leanings, of all different types of ethnic backgrounds, all different types of socioeconomic backgrounds, sharing how powerful uh, he, he was of an influence in their lives. And many of you, many of you, he's changed your life, your marriage, your faith. He's taught you how to pray. He's taught you the meaning of marriage and all that and more. He passed away and uh, I was as I was scrolling through some of these posts, I saw a picture of a tweet that his son had tweeted out regarding uh, some of his last words. And this is, uh, these were some of uh, his last words. He says, there is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. There is no downside for me leaving, 
not in the slightest. The words of a man who has chose to trust the Lord his whole life, to grow in the trust of the Lord, to trust him through the ups and downs of pastoring a church in New York City, the ups and the downs of life, the, the diagnosis, someone who stayed faithful through it all. And when facing his death, there's no downside. I wonder, have we planted ourselves in soil that leads us to these words? Have you planted yourself in soil that is leading you to share these types of thoughts, these types of words on your deathbed? There's no downside. I know what's coming. Love is on the other side. Grace is on the other side. Healing, full restoration is on the other side. All things made right is on the other side. That is what I hope in. And so how do we respond? Choose trust. Choose trust. Trust is a choice. You have to trust me when I tell you. You have to trust me when I tell you. Hey, go check out Chipsitch. I know it's real emotional. I brought it back. The tuna melt. Get it. You have to trust me. You may not believe me, but you trust me, right? And so we choose to trust the Lord even when we don't fully understand. God, I'm going to default to you on this one. God, you said, so I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I, I love Lindsay Wilson in her, in her commentary on Proverbs calls it mindful trust. It's bringing it to mind. God, I'm going to trust you here. We mindfully choose to trust God throughout our lives. Choose to trust him in the midst of your suffering and struggle. He said he is with you in your valley of darkness and he will bless you on the other side. Choose to trust him in the way you see yourself in the mirror. He is good when he says that what you see is not your worst. Choose to trust him when that opportunity shuts itself out, when the door closes to the opportunity or to the relationship or to the job. But God, I'm going to trust you regardless of what doors are open and what doors are closed. Choose to trust him with the blessings you have received from him. Choose to trust God because he is worthy of it all. Look no further for an example of his worthiness of your trust than the cross. God of the universe assumed the flesh he created and sustains. Why? So that you, yes you, and all your shame and all your sin and all your brokenness and all your darkness with the addiction, with the struggle, so you could have life abundantly and life everlasting. So that, that, that door that had been shut between you and God might be open wide and, and, and the invitation would be before you to come and experience the embrace of a loving father. Not some sort of cosmic taskmaster, but a God who seeks to save, a God who seeks to heal. That is on offer for you today, either to remind yourself to trust in the Lord because he is worth it. He will never leave me nor forsake me or to believe on him for the first time and receive life and life everlasting. And listen, if that's you, I'd love to meet you in the back. I'll be there with our prayer team. Would love to pray with you and talk about what that life looks like. But for the rest of us, let us choose trust. Amen. So Lord, we bless you. God, we thank you that you are worthy of every ounce of our trust and more. God, we thank you that you do not manipulate our vulnerability. God, that you do not take advantage of our trust. 
but God, that you treat us with love, dignity, respect as your children. God, we thank you that you are a God that is worthy of reverence. Lord, we thank you that you do not plan to leave us where we're at, but you have a plan that you are at work in our lives, seeing through to completion on that day when Jesus, you return and restore all things. And so, Father God, we collectively bless and glorify your name, the name above all names, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and last, the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. So now's the time that we take for communion. For those of you who have chosen trust, this is...